So hello everybody and welcome. My name is Amber Winston and welcome to the Return of Ritual online show. I have a strong belief that the act of sacred ritual is actually lost in our society. I think with technology, we're now more connected than ever. Um, but underneath that, I believe that there's kind of a fundamental isolation or separate feeling that people are starting to unravel or uncover. And I'm also wildly passionate about rituals. Um, I think making a cup of tea in the morning can be the most sacred time of day. So I'm really curious about interviewing and talking to people that invoke sacred ritual into their everyday life or into their work. And so I'm really, really excited to have this beautiful woman here with me today, Miss Maya Toll. Um, I first discovered her work when I read her book, The Herbiary. And I actually picked a card from it this morning and I got Remembrance, Rosemary. Um, her work is just absolutely stunning. And so when I did a little bit of research on Maya, I learned that she had quite a, a remarkable story. And so welcome, Maya, to the show this morning. Thank you, Amber. Glad to be here. Thank you. So my very first question that I'm just dying to hear more about is, can you start by telling us what led you to live alongside a healer, a medicine woman in Ireland for a complete year? Well, <laughs> It's not a straightforward answer. Um, the beginnings of it is I got sick. You know, I got sick and Western medicine couldn't do anything about it. Um, luckily, I had a, a medical doctor who was training in Chinese medicine. And she said, you know, I'm a beginner at this. I don't know enough to, to be able to say, I have a feel for what's going on, but I know enough to say, this is falling into patterns that are very different from Western medicine patterns. And why don't you go explore, you know, some other paths. So I was living in New York city at the time. She set me loose into the wilds of New York city. And this was oh, 30, no, yeah, 25 years ago. So, um, our acceptance of alternative therapies was not anywhere near where it is now. I was pretty much going like, you know, basement apartment to basement apartment, talking to people who seem like really shady characters because they were hiding what they were doing um, because it really wasn't accepted at that point. So I began picking my way through this alternative subculture. And after getting better myself, I began um, just studying and researching and um, moving in, you know, the direction of incorporating this into my own life. And as these things often go, people, you know, would call me up at first and say, remember when you had the flu, you got better quicker than anybody else. What did you do? And after a few years of that, it moved on to, um, I know you've never had shingles, but what do you think you would do if you did have shingles? You know, so people asking me for a different kind of health and advice. In the midst of all this, the town that I was living in, right outside of New York City, um, had a big boom, uh, a big museum came in. And with that museum, property values went up. So I was just kind of witnessing that going, oh, hooray for me, I love my house and now it's worth more. And then I noticed my life starting to unravel. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Um, just bit by bit, I had a number of different part-time teaching jobs. They started falling away. My roommates started deciding to move out. And I realized 
I was in an unraveling period and I had a choice. I could either go with it or I could resist it. And I decided to just go with it wholeheartedly. And I put my house on the market. And soon after I had a dream. And in that dream, I soared over the ocean um, with a woman who took me to an island that does not look like Ireland today, but I knew it was Ireland. And she said, this is where you need to come to be initiated. Wow. So, yeah. Um, so I woke up the next morning and I made a master list of everything I'd ever been interested in studying and learning more about. And I just started typing into, um, this was pre-Google, like Google didn't even exist yet. So I was on AltaVista search engine, which probably <laughs> no one, you know, under the age of 40 even remembers. Um, and typing in Ireland plus pottery, Ireland plus weaving, Ireland plus herbalism. And that's how I found my teacher. Um, and I, you know, it was, a, it was one of those moments where I was in what I think of as divine flow, you know, mm. and you can remove the word flow if that word makes you uncomfortable and just think of it as, or the word divine, if that word makes you uncomfortable and just think of it as flow, right? Mm -hmm. um, one thing was flowing into the next, selling the house enabled this next thing. Uh, so that's, that's how it happened. And when I went, she didn't like take people on for a year. I went for a short period of time and then begged her to keep me. <laughs> wow. That's remarkable. And you know, it's so fascinating about this story and maybe you can elaborate a little bit um, from having a dream to then taking action. You know, I feel like a lot of people would um, have some sort of resistance that comes up or some fear or did you have any of those feelings? And if you did, how did you kind of work through them? So in the moment, I didn't consciously have any fear or resistance. In the moment, I'd already decided to sell my house. Um, I'd been studying sh shamanism for a number of years at that point. And to me, it was very clear this was an unraveling time. And so I was only going to hurt myself if I decided to um, resist that. But what, you know, what happened later was all these smaller points of resistance came up. Like conceptually, I was like, yes, I'm on board. But then as I started to move through it, I found all these places where I wasn't on board. Like I'd been collecting antiques for years, like going to our local auction house, buying things, restoring them. And when it came time to empty my house, I put these huge price tags on everything. Like I'm going to sell these antiques for what they're worth. Right. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't get rid of my stuff. It, I was still holding on to it energetically. I wasn't letting mm -hmm. it go. And it literally, it literally got to the point where I had to like mark things a penny, a dollar. Someone would come up and say, oh my God, I love that. And I'd be like, great, it's yours. And I, I had to give in fully. I had to be willing mm -hmm. to give up the past fully. And as long as I was still clinging to it, you know, because if you think of, if you think about what a monetary value is, it's valuing something. I was valuing my past more than I was valuing my potential future. I was going to wow. trip myself up over a dresser, um, and so it took a bit to work through that. Mm, yeah. That's really powerful. I can, I can relate to that. I can see how <laughs> people people would, you know, um, really think about their possessions which kind of tie them to the past more so than thinking about stepping into the future and um, 
answering the calling or however you would describe it. Um, that's beautiful, it's remarkable. So when you were in Ireland, um, can you just describe how that was? Like what your day-to-day -day activities were when you were studying and learning from mother nature? Yeah, so um, in the beginning it was intensely lonely. It was ridiculously lonely. You know, I'm in the middle of Ireland. I'm expecting some grand adventure. Um, and I don't have a car. I am an hour walk from town. All I have is my, my teacher, no one else. Um, we, we had internet, but it was very expensive and it had to do with like, you know, the amount of streaming you used. I wasn't allowed to use the internet. At that point, we didn't have international cell phones. I had to walk to town and use like a regular phone to collect call for $60, someone at home. Wow. So um, it, was, it was intensely lonely. And I think that we romanticize these, like going off to study with a shaman, going off to study with a healer um, in a way that like, if you carefully read the stories, you can see the loneliness in there. If you read the old fairy tales, you can see the, the anger and the resentment. It's all in there, but we ignore that. And we focus on, um, you know, doing this, glorious thing it's like getting into hogwarts or something right and not realizing the that the journey is through ourselves it is through our loneliness it is through our pain it is through our discomfort that's not really what we signed up for it's not what we thought we wanted um but it's you know it's the truth of what happens so you know my everyday days, especially in the beginning when I knew nothing, were chop wood, carry water. You know, in this, in this state of aloneness with myself for company. And so it was really through that that I started slowly communicating with the trees and the rocks and the ravens and having a fuller non-human centric version of what community is. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah when you when you faced kind of your shadow your shadow side in this you know sense of isolation that you were experiencing and you really started to connect to nature for the first time it sounds like or maybe you had before but maybe in a different way when you were actually in maybe a little bit more of the shadow side of yourself is that where you would say um you were able to access like your deepest points of creativity? Hmm. It's a good question. Um, I think that in the, you know, in the beginning, I was blocked from everything. I was so in my own story of disconnect and loneliness that until I worked my way through that and healed that, um, even creativity was was beyond me. You know, I was like losing myself in other people's creativity, getting lost in books and things like that. But as I worked through it, then I was able to tap into that deeper well. Um, that deeper well was on the other side, <laughs> you know, of of the of the journey. And you know, it it took going going through 
the emotional hardship. It was not physical hardship. It was emotional hardship um, to get to the other side. And then from that place, not only tapping into creativity, but tapping into um, that sense of being on the web, that sense of connection that allows you to access your intuition. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's really beautiful. And how would you say that you went through it? How did you actually? <laughs> Very ungracefully in the beginning. <laughs> With lots of bitching and moaning. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think that um, I trudged through my days in the beginning and I was grumpy and I was angry and I was angry at my teacher and I was angry at myself for putting myself in this situation. Um, so I moved, you know, I moved through the anger and the resentment and started to enjoy my time alone, started to, um, I started to bring my, like I had a wooden flute and I started to bring it out on my walks with me and I would play my flute just like out in the fields and out by the creeks and things. Um, and the animals would come, which was amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'd end up like very inexpertly. We're not talking about, they weren't, they weren't gathering for a beautiful concert. Um, like I, <laughs> I remember one day standing in the field and I had a half circle of cows around me wow. shifting from foot to foot while I played the flute. Um, just kind of like swinging their heads. I was like, wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so yeah. when you're kind of, when you're in these places, when you're communing with, with nature that I, I imagine was probably a little bit more accessible when you're, in Ireland, um, how do you today uh, really invoke that sacred connection to nature in your everyday kind of modern lifestyle? So it's all getting much easier because I just three weeks ago moved to a house on 27 acres in the woods. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting back to that place where it literally is right outside my doorstep. But um, for years I've lived in, you know, I've lived in cities. And I think this is so important for us as modern human beings, right? We, again, it's going back to that romanticization and we picture it a certain way. Well, if I can't go and sit by the creek, then I can't commune. If I can't go and, you know, lean up against a 3,000 year old tree, then I can't commune. Um, and I think it's just so important to realize that it doesn't matter whether your land is a city park, a city block, um, a couple of pots on your windowsill. It's, it's how you conceptualize. You know, our, our brains are our biggest gift and our biggest enemies. They will tell us this isn't good enough, this isn't big enough, this isn't bright enough, and um, separate our, us from ourselves, right? So stick your fingers in the dirt. And I don't care if that dirt's a potted plant. It doesn't matter. Choose to say this dirt connects with all the dirt outside, all the dirt in that forest I wish I was in, all the dirt in that pasture I wish I could stroll across. It's the same dirt, right? So once you start getting into the more philosophical aspects of earth medicine, when you start thinking about what does it mean that the microcosm is in the macrocosm and the macrocosm is in the microcosm, you start looking at these points of reflection between the small and the large. 
then all of a sudden your potted plant is a doorway in, it's a portal to all the earth, everything that's mm. out there. Your glass of water is a portal to all the water. So you have to take that pause and remember that the only thing that is disconnecting these things is you. Mm. And then it gets easier. Beautiful. So what would be, what would be your typical morning ritual or evening ritual, depending on? Yeah. So I just moved. Everything is, I mean, everything is like up in the air to the point where I said to my partner this morning, you know, after I get through this very busy upcoming week, I am saying no to everything until I can brush my teeth, find my clothes and wash my clothes without stressing out. You know, so I think like right after you move is an incredible opportunity to see what you want your rituals to be. Mm. Um, but I always, you know, my partner and I have a routine. He wakes up and takes the dogs and, and goes out for a long walk. And I make myself a cup of tea and sit and usually stare blankly out the window. Um, <laughs> so that's, you know, that's a, that's a long time, just kind of reground, reset, get here. And it's very mm -hmm. simple, but I'm, I'm not particularly grounded if I don't have those 20 to 30 minutes to myself, just to kind of start my day awake, aware, observing what's going on around me, which has gotten way more dramatic because now I get to watch clouds, you know, lowering between the mountain valleys and things. So um, that's, that's my morning. And what's beginning to emerge is that because I work for myself and I'm usually at my computer, I've been going for an afternoon walk and just, I, I do have mm. a creek now. So I walk down to the creek and I sit on the bridge and I listen to, to the creek um, I've actually been sometimes just hitting record on my phone and sharing a little Instagram pause with everyone. Um, that afternoon pause is becoming a part of my routine. And um, I think, especially now that I'm living on land again, instead of like on a postage stamp, I am so fascinated by just the changing light and so being able to you know observe from my from my window in my pajamas in the morning and then go for a walk in the afternoon and we go for a walk again in the evening and just really watch the shifting light um that helps me get here it helps me stay present so mm. i'm curious though what routines are going to emerge because the person who lived here before me was a potter and she set up all these beautiful little outdoor altars and there's i mean oh. there's things that look to me i don't know how she thought of them but there are things that look to me like offering bowls and um there are fountains all over the place and it's it's a beautiful landscape and i'm like ooh, how am i going to use this like what's I, I actually just realized this morning that um she has a kuan yin statue oh. that has like it has a a motor and you know a fountain in it and i was just realizing this morning it's very close to the front door and i was like ooh, you know huh i can begin to feel that saying hello and goodbye right greeting the spirit of place yeah. as i come and go because it's right by the door um could begin to be a beautiful ritual i don't know yet i I let rituals choose me at this point. I used to say to myself, you will do this and you will do it. 
on this time frame. And um, what I noticed was that when I did that, the rituals lost their juice pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. It became it became rote. It became the same way I felt about prayer growing up. You know, here are words that you must say at this time. And they stopped meaning anything. Mm-hmm. So um, I really like to let rituals choose me and I like them to remain organic and remain shifting, moving in flow. Um, I, I always challenge my students. Like, you know, I have, a, I have little challenges I sprinkle around my, my classes. And one of them is um, say some kind of thank you or grace before meals and never say it the same way twice. I love that. Right? Because how easy is it to be like, I grew up Jewish, so it's like, it's great, let's eat. I don't even know what the hell I just said. It was in a language I don't speak, right? So if we don't connect our energy to our ritual, it's useless. Mm. Mm. That lands. That's really beautiful. And I think that that's, that's so nice to be in a place of, transition I don't know if that's exactly the right word but you know where you can reinvent yourself where you can reinvent your day how you connect and I love that you say rituals choose you um I think that that's really fascinating because that kind of shows that you're in the feminine of just receptivity to what and being in the flow and and I think that that's a really beautiful thing to think about when we think about rituals because I can see how in our modern society where we're very driven kind of in the masculine people might think, Oh, I need to have my morning ritual. I have to sit down and do my meditation and, you know, walk the dog and say my gratitude. And then that kind of creates this sense of pressure and that is, and stress. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the exact opposite of why you're doing ritual in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you create something for yourself that, is achieving your goals. And, and, you know, maybe some of this is like, why do you do ritual? What's your particular reason goal in doing it? Um, and then look, are your rituals fulfilling that? Because if they're not, they're the wrong rituals. Yeah. So I shift gears a little bit and just ask you about um, your creative process, because I know you are a writer. And I can imagine being uh, an author and a writer um, that there is some sort of precision and attention that is put to your craft and creating space for your craft. So I would love for you just to share with us um, a little bit about that, how you create that space to really be in the flow of creativity. Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting because illness plays in my life over and over again as a driving force. And um, in my 30s, I went through a big period of having severe migraines, like severe to the point where I was kind of non-functioning some days of the week. And so I created a whole business and a whole life that lets me flex around, you know, whatever's going on with me. And I'm, I'm kind of through that stage of my life, but the, the way that I set my life up supports my writing. Like I, I can grab a week. I can say to, you know, the folks on my team, you all are, are up, you're on your own. Um, I need to write this week. And so 
it's, it's a blessing really that I can grab that time um, because time is the hardest thing I think for, for most creatives. It's like, how do you, how do you grab that time? And my life is set up for, for big time grabs, you know? So I don't have that kind of initial obstacle that some people have, but, um, I'm not a procrastinator. Like I don't have any of that. I don't want to, I don't want to. And part of that is because when I sit down, it's again from that very kind of yin energy place. I sit down and, and like in writing the herbiary and the bestiary and the crystallary, which comes out in June. Um, when I sit down, I say, who wants to be in the book today? And then whatever pops, like, you know, whatever pops up first, I say, okay, what do you want to say? And I start writing. And so from that place, it really keeps me in flow. Now, which is not to say that I don't end up with, you know, some writings that are not good or that are too short, you know, I have to come back and overlay craft and overlay sentence structure and um, overlay kind of overall universal um, structure of the book. All that has to be put back in. But that initial fear of fear of creation, you know, that like, oh, I don't know what to. Um, I overcome that simply by putting my fingers on the keyboard and saying, okay, well, what are we doing today? Like, this doesn't have to be about me and my brain. Um, and some of that's just trust. Like, if I sit down and put my fingers on the keyboard, I think Daisy is a fabulous example from the Illustrated Herbiary. I sat down, I put my fingers on the keyboard, and I said, okay, who's in the book today? And Daisy says, me. And I said, sorry, Daisy, you are not in this book. I am focusing on medicinal herbs, and you are barely medicinal. Sorry, <laughs> no. And Daisy said, I am in the book. And I was like, okay. And I started typing. Well, that Daisy entry has been called by so many people. Like I get so many emails about Daisy. Um, I got Daisy just when I needed it. Daisy is so important to me. Um, mm -hmm. So this, this stepping into trust, you know, and with the bestiary, the owls kept coming. I have three owls mm -hmm. in bestiary. And when the wow. fourth owl showed up, I had to say, I am sorry, this is the bestiary, not the aviary. <laughs> My editor will not allow you in. She, she has said enough owls. Um, but it's allowing yourself to have some play and some, some fun. And I think we've been told, like, don't talk to yourself. <laughs> they might lock you up for that. And right. you allow yourself that. Um, you allow yourself to step into that playful place where, I don't know, am I talking to myself? Am I talking to the owls? Am I talking to the daisies? I don't know. Who cares? It allows the flow to begin. And from that place of flow, I can then go back with, you know, a more critical eye and, and overlay some of the necessary book components. Mm. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Beautiful. So what would you say um, to anyone who's looking to unleash kind of their creative potential? What would be a little bit of advice that you would want to share with them? Oh, you know, I, I have to say what's hard about this is that we all individually have such individualized hangups. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that the first thing to do is to turn inward. Like, honestly, my hangup, and you'd never know this from listening to me today, is that I was ridiculously type A. 
I was brought up in a family. My dad was a lawyer. My mom was a family therapist. Um, I'm ridiculously overeducated in a traditional university setting. And I want like the proof and the research. And it is very hard for me to just let go um, and step in. And so that was my challenge. I've, I've, had students who are exactly the opposite. They ha- they they can't ground. They're like so mm. creative and so, right? So I think maybe the first thing is identify your Achilles heel. Like, mm. where are you getting in your own way? Where is your brain? I call it a, a bully brain. Where's your brain yanking you around and um, telling you stories? And I think the way to look for this is try to identify the place where you're in discord with yourself, where you know you think one thing and you immediately feel your brain snap, snap something else at you. Like look for that place of frisson within yourself because that's where, um, that's where your work is, you know, mm. and, and that's where the doorway is. But it's different in all of us. So it's hard to give like one pat, like everybody do this. It's more look in, Mm. find the friction, find the frisson, and then really examine that place. What are these dueling parts of you fighting about? And which mm. part are you living into and which part are you ignoring? And step towards the part you're ignoring. I love that. And I actually, um, I highlighted one one sentence in your bio, because I think this really speaks to your work and what you were saying. Um, You know, you say that you're going to always be using your critical thinking skills and talking to flowers are not mutually exclusive activities. So you're kind of weaving in like this left and right brain that they can coexist together beautifully. Um, And I, and I really kind of see that in a lot of your work. The last thing I wanted to ask was, can you just describe some of you know, I, I see you have this witch camp. I see you have this night school, um, these amazing, exciting things that I'm, I'm personally very interested in. Um, can you just describe a little bit about, about those offerings and maybe how you do stay grounded in the scientific but allow that um, spiritual creativity to kind of co-mingle together? Yeah, so what, what I have found for myself is that if I step into the magic and I don't ground it in like the way I grew up, my enculturation, that um, I don't believe myself. So in all my programs, I'm always looking for um, what's the philosophical basis for this? What's the basis in physics for this? We don't spend a lot of time like, you know, you don't have to go study quantum physics to understand the law of attraction. But if you can pull some things from the scientific realm, because I, I personally believe that we often think of things as a timeline, like, and things like physics are on one end and magic's on the other. But the truth is, it's a circle. And there's a point around the circle where the science and the, what we've traditionally called magic are already meeting, they're already meeting up. I mean, first of all, they're already meeting up in theoretical physics and things like that. But you and I are talking, you're in California and I am in North Carolina. We are currently talking. We've gotten so used to this technology that we don't realize that it is magic. I mean, 
allow yourself to pause for a second and just be like, wait, how the heck does this work? Do you know how this works? Do you have a clear understanding of how some signal is being passed over the airways? I mean, when we have traditionally talked about magic, it's like a signal for me, like, and we think of it as like, oh, I'm going to think about it. It's somehow <laughs> like being received by you. Well, that's what's happening right this second. We are living in magical times. Our technology has gotten so advanced, right? And even things like this computer that we're talking on, guess what's inside our computers? Crystal. There's quartz in the, there's quartz in our computers, like, you know, right? So we're ignoring the magic that's right in front of us because we call it science. But when you deconstruct the science, you realize it's using all the tools that have been traditionally called magic. And when you deconstruct the magic, you realize it totally lines up with experimental physics. It's all the same thing. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's all um, the same thing. Yeah, yeah that, that's amazing. Um, so, when, so people can learn from you in these schools. Like, where can you just give us a little bit more about about your your offerings, like the witch camp and sure. the night school? And so, the night school, um, we offer a semester free, so you can just kind of come in and see see if you like it. The night school is my newest creation, so I'm I'm very fond of it at the moment. It's the it's the baby. Um, what we did was we went through years and years and years of lessons and um, I had a phase where I got really serious about all this stuff and we just, yes, I know. Um, and we just overlaid some, some lightness and some spunk on the lesson so that they are super easy to digest. And we broke it down into like bite-sized pieces. If any of you know Seth Godin, we were like, what if Seth Godin was being magical? What would that look like? Um, so we do three short emails a week, like super bite size. You know, you can, you can grab them while you're waiting for the subway. Um, and it's been a tremendous success. It's, it's really easy to step into, gives you some things to think about without being very demanding on your time. So that's the night school. It's ridiculously fun for me to, to work on. Mm -hmm. And then witch camp we do once a year. It's a deep dive um, into the archetype of witch. And we're actually adding in, we're, we're rejiggering some things that we've been doing for a while. Like we've been doing something called the journey of Anana um, in the winter, which is about facing death. And so we're reworking it under the archetype heading of winter. Um, again, with this idea that if this is all the same stuff, why don't we try to find language that speaks to um, everybody instead of finding language that's kind of narrowly pinpointed. So um, I'm always playing. I mean, honestly, my biggest creation is my business. And I'm, oh. I'm always in there playing with it. Beautiful. Well, I'll, I will link to that in the show notes because I think that those are some, some very exciting offerings that you have. And I would love for people to check those out. Um, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you, Maya. This has been so thought provoking and um, just a really beautiful interview. Thank you so much for making the time, for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge. Um, and it's just been a true honor. So thank you so much. Thank you, Amber. I'm so glad you're doing this. It's really fun. I know. Thank you so much. <laughs>